Father, we do pray that you would enable us as your people to understand the times which we live and how we are to live in them. Pray, Lord, that your word would be clear to us about what is happening, what will be happening, and what our role is in the days to come. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever ever find yourself watching the news and just wondering, what is going on? I mean, is there, you know, some divine plan in all this? Is there some driving force behind what is happening? Is there some agenda that's determining the course of events? Well, the answer to all those questions is yes, there is. So if you would like to really understand what's going on behind much of the chaos and upheaval that's going on right now in the Middle East and the world, then we need to return to a certain passage. And I come back to this passage from time to time. Some of you that have been with the church for decades have heard me speak on, on this particular passage before. But it's a little bit like getting on an airplane. You're on an airplane and the steward or stewardess gives you all these instructions of what will happen in, in, in how to be able to handle an emergency, and nobody pays attention. In fact, you know, next time you're on an airplane, just look around while the stewardess is giving instructions, and it, nobody's looking, and nobody's listening. But I guarantee you, if at 30,000 feet that plane starts to have problems, everybody wants to know what to do. Well, that's a little bit like the situation with uh, Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2, even people, people have heard messages on it, but all of a sudden something starts to go on in the world that uh, is troubling, and Psalm 2 becomes very, very relevant to us in our understanding of what is not only happening, but what will happen. So I want us to look back again at Psalm 2. For some of you, this is new. Some of you, this might be a little bit of review, but I think there's going to be some fresh understanding given to all of us in light of the days we're living in. Psalm 2 actually divides easily into four parts. It's much like a four-act drama. Again, act one in Psalm 2 is the curtain goes up, and the action of the first three verses of Psalm 2 is that the leaders of the earth rebel against God and his right to rule their lives. Then the curtain comes down. Then act two, the curtain comes up. This is the second act that opens up with God, the Father, at center stage. And he is going to now respond to these religious, these these world leaders of all segments of society. He's going to respond to them in act two. The curtain comes down. And the curtain comes back up, Act 3, that this time the Son of God takes center stage, Jesus Christ. And then the curtain comes down. Then Act 4, the curtain rises up and King David comes out, who the inspired author of Psalm 2. And he's going to utter a warning that, that really is going to uh, echo down through the quarters of time to our time in light of what is going on in the world, and what is to come next. And so the plot of this drama of Psalm 2 centers around 
the unified rebellion of the leaders of all the world's systems against God's sovereign plan and decree that he will give all the nations of the earth to his son as his inheritance. So let's walk through it. That's kind of a summary, but let's walk through it. Act 1. We're going to call Act 1 Satan's Agenda. So the curtain rises in Act 1. The people are in an uproar. The rebellious leaders of every segment of life on earth are taking counsel together and they're plotting their strategy. Let's read it. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart, cast away their cords from us. So the leaders of the earth are challenging God's right to command their obedience. They're challenging it. And they resist giving their devotion and their allegiance to Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that God has intended our souls to be captured and consumed and enthralled with Jesus. Our highest development, our greatest fulfillment in life is in worshiping him and serving him with the total abandonment. As an inheritance, God the Father has promised his Son, a people filled with spirits that are ablaze with affection and adoration for him. The Father would never insult his Son or sadden his Son by presenting him his bride one day, the church, the bride of Christ, a bride that's apathetic and bored and compromising. So Satan is aware of God's agenda to capture human affections and to consume them with passion for his son. Satan knows that's what the father is doing. So Satan has devised his own agenda against that. Satan is actually raising up his own passionate people. People who are consumed by passions for everything else and anything else except the Son of God. In fact, they adamantly resist giving their devotion and their allegiance to Jesus. Now at the moment, for the most part, these rebellious leaders are promoting things around the world like homosexuality, gay marriage, abortion, transgender lifestyles, pornography, and other issues. But Satan's real plan is going to go far beyond those issues. His desire, Satan's desire, is to get people of the earth to throw off all godly restraint. But ultimately, to resist giving their devotion to his son. So Satan, again, we need to understand Satan doesn't intend the perversion of human hearts to stop with just this tremendous influx of perversion and immorality and indecency. He wants to push things way past immorality and indecency. His goal is for the nations of the earth 
to erupt in a bowling rage against God, against his commandments, and ultimately against giving his son his inheritance. This is the satanic agenda. How does he do it? Well, first he deceives the rulers and leaders of every segment of society. First he deceives them. By the way, when you think, why are they doing this? So many of them are doing it because they've been deceived. Or you think, how could they be so stupid? Because they've been deceived. So these rulers and leaders, first he deceives them. Then he unites them from all these different segments of society. He unites them around his diabolical purposes. He teaches them, the devil is teaching them to devise clever ploys to capture public opinion and ultimately to undermine righteousness. He provokes them to throw off God's edicts, throw off his commandments, throw off his restraints, throw off his written word, throw it off, throw off all boundaries of good and evil and decide that we as a people will decide now what is good and evil, not you. Now think about this. Just in my lifetime, you had the, the removal of the Bible, reading of the Bible in public schools. Now, in the early 60s, I think, I think it went out of 62, 63, they, had, they read the Bible in public schools. It got thrown out. That was followed by prayer being taken out of schools. That's followed by the Ten Commandments being taken out of schools. Now you've got so many people who want to take under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. See, you need, we need to understand there is a diabolical plan behind all this trend. It's a plan. This is the satanic agenda. God will not rule over us. We throw off his commandments and we will not honor his son. This spring in schools around the country, public schools, there's going to be graduation ceremonies and there's going to be speeches given. And in those speeches, you'll have different speakers approach the podium. And what, what most of us may not realize is that their speeches have been screened. And you're allowed to quote anybody in history, anybody throughout history in your speech except one person. Do you know who that is? Can't quote him. I spoke in my high school graduation, and I had to hand my speech in before going up, and they were checking for one thing. This is 1975, making sure that I did not quote Jesus. So this momentum of unholy passion is building. Foolish, dark-minded rulers from every level and arena of society, lawmakers, educators, entertainers, advertisers, corporate heads, Religious leaders, media moguls, and others are a plot to attack the holy commandments and the precepts of God. They seek first dilute them and then demolish them from society one by one. That's act one. Act one is we will not obey your commandments. We will break your words into pieces, your commandments are broken, right or wrong, or only for us to decide from now on. We will live as we please. We will do what we want to do. 
will live for our pleasure, not your pleasure, and your son has no inheritance on the earth. The curtain comes down in Act 1. Poof. Act 2. God's agenda, the curtain comes up. And God is sitting on center stage on a throne. God the Father is sitting there, and he is mocking these rebellious leaders of the earth. He's laughing at their vain schemes or foolish plots. Let's read it. Psalm 2, verse 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So now God, after scoffing at all of their pathetic little plans and schemes, he then in his anger and fury says, It will happen. My son will rule the world, and he will do it from Zion, Jerusalem. This is where all history is going. By the way, if we're going to understand the news, we need to understand this is where history is going, and the devil is trying to stop it. The devil does not want the Son of God to rule the earth. The devil does not want the Son of God to rule in Jerusalem, and he does not want the Son of God to rule from Temple Mount. I want you to put a, the next slide up there, if you would. I'm going to show you something. I think it's important for us to understand this. This, All this right here is Temple Mount. This right here is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is the Dome of the Rock. But... Muslims call all of this Al-Aqsa. It's all called Al-Aqsa. Now, if you want to go to a website and understand the mentality of, of many of the, of the radical Islam perspective, you can go to a website. It's M-E-M-R-I. M-E-M-R-I stands for Middle East Media Research Institute. And on this website, one of the things you'll find if you go to it and you can search it is that they have even children programs. And they have a character. The character comes out very much dressed in a costume looking like a, you know, some type of mascot for a football team. He comes and speaks to the children. He asks the little children a question. He says, who do you love more, Alexa or your daddy? And the children say, Alaksa. And the character says, Yeah, and you love your daddy too. They teach the children that King Solomon never had a temple in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. And then he say, But the Jews want to build one there. They teach the children that jihad, holy war, is what we are to, what we are to be about as Muslims. We are to be about jihad. And then they say to the children, we must defend Al-Aqsa above all else. We must defend it. So this extreme point of conflict in the Middle East will be Jerusalem, obviously. It'll be especially Temple Mount. 
Now, the Jews will rebuild a temple there, prophesied to happen. There will be a firestorm of conflict when that happens. The question is, I want to ask you, why does that spot matter so much? Why does it matter so much? The devil knows this. The devil knows that Jesus promises to come back and to rule from the throne of David. He's going to rule the world for a thousand years on the earth when he returns from the throne of David. The devil does not want that to happen. He's going to rule from that spot. The devil does not want that to happen. But I want you to know something really interesting. Let's go to the next slide. This, again, is the, we refer to the Dome of Rock, but this is all part of what the Muslims consider Al-Aqsa. But you can actually Google this, and you can go in. It's got, it's octangle, octangular. There's an inner and outer octangular inside of this uh, mosque, and you have Arabic written on it. And you can actually get the translation of the Arabic. And I want you to know three times, three times in this building right here, three times it says on this building, on this spot, three times it says, God has no son. The very place that the Son of God will come, take the throne of David and rule the world, now sits a building that says God has no son. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Let's read 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. The devil says that God has no Son. He will not rule from that place. That's the spirit of Antichrist. So right now the spirit of Antichrist is in that place where Christ will come. And that is also the place where Antichrist himself will come and demand that he is worshipped as God from the temple. But I want you to know this is, we're still in Act 2. God laughs. He scoffs because he knows no one can stop him and he can blow them away with a mere breath. God says, I have news for you. I've already appointed my king on his holy hill. It has been established forever in the eternal councils of the Godhead. He will rule the world and he will rule it from this place. The inheritance of my son is sure. People of all ages Races, languages, and nations will be filled with a holy passion for the Son of God. He will have a passionate church whose affections are filled with him. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will bring this to pass. And then the curtain starts to fall on Acts 2. Act 2. So the, the, the battle lines have been clearly drawn here. The people of the earth now have to make a choice. Either they will resist God and his Son try to resist it from happening, or they're going to wholeheartedly give themselves in their devotion to Jesus Christ. So everyone more and more is going to be on one side or the other. More and more of the things, the riots, the anger we see, you know, and the protesters, the more and more we're going to see you know, this happening. And then now, Act 3, the curtain rises. The Son of God now claims, comes to claim his inheritance. So now, as the curtain rises in Act 3, the Son of God is standing center stage. Let's read it. Psalm 2, verse 7 through 9. 
I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, this is the Son of God talk. He, talking about God the Father, Yahweh, he said, he said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, now surely give you, give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. So in this decree, we see the Bible is not just about God's plans and provisions for mankind, but it's also about God's plans and provisions for his son. So we have an inheritance, but so does Jesus have an inheritance. Now, our, our inheritance is our ability to experience both the blessings and love of a passionate God through Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. Jesus' inheritance is that he's going to receive a passionate people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's his inheritance. So the father invites the son, go ahead and ask. Ask for your inheritance. Ask for it. So Psalm 280, ask. He's asking. And we see that even he started asking, really, I think, all the way back in John 17, when Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. Remember what he prays? John 17, verse 26. Part of what he asked his Father in heaven is this. He prays that the love which, with which you loved me, talking to God the Father, may be in them, his followers, and I in them. So he's praying. He's praying for a people that will love him like the Father loves him. He's praying for a passionate people. So he started praying this, I believe, in the garden. John 17, I think now he's also praying it as he's by the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is asking for his inheritance. He's asking for a people who are passionately in love with him. He's asking the Father for that. And Jesus will get what he's asking. He will get it. One of the reasons why worship is becoming so dominant in churches around the world right now more and more songs are being written, more passion, more worship. And why it's also become controversial in some places is because I believe the, the predominant metaphor for the church in the last days will be the bridal metaphor. Because more and more, it's going to be just a passionate love for Jesus. We just want you to come. But also, one of the reasons why missions become more and more the driving force of the church around the world is because the father promised to give the nations to his son people from every tongue tribe and nation and that's not yet happened and people you know talk about how can we talk about missions every sunday we send out we pray why that we're getting we're just caught up in what god's doing we're not driving it god's driving it the father's driving it because he wants to give his son what his son's asking for and so you're only going to see more of that here because we're being, we've been caught up in this. God's put more and more on our hearts, what's on his heart, that his son gets his inheritance. And that means people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. There's a day coming when this is going to happen. He's going to get his inheritance. He is going to rule. Jesus is going to rule one day. And some, are, some will resist him. Many will resist him. 
I want you to think about this. This passage that many of us are familiar with, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to think about that for a moment because because right now it's voluntary. Right now it's voluntary. We can bow the knee to Christ now. But there's a day coming when it's not going to be voluntary. And every knee on earth and under the earth will bow. There's a day when it is not voluntary. I want you to think about this. There's a, there's a time coming when every political leader, every prime minister, every president who's ever lived, every congressman, every congresswoman, they'll all bow the knee of Christ. Think about it. There's a day coming when every athlete, every entertainer, every CEO, Every journalist, every professor, they're all going to bow the knee. There's a day when Netanyahu will bow his knee. Leaders of Hamas will bow their knees. Leaders of Hezbollah, Iran, they'll all bow their knee. Think about this. There's a day where all the Texas Rangers and Arizona's Diamondbacks will bow the knee. Every player on every team, they'll bow the knee. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey will bow the knee. Republicans, Democrats, Independents are all going to bow the knee to Christ one day. It's voluntary right now, but there's a day where everyone will be on their knees. It won't be voluntary on that day. Muhammad will bow his knee. Buddha will bow his knee. Confucius will bow his knee. Every pope throughout church history will bow their knee. I mean, think about this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Right now it's voluntary. There's a time coming when it will no longer be voluntary. Every knee will be bowed. It most certainly will. But in the meantime, the Father's stirring the church with devotion to the Son of God, and he's, and he's stirring world evangelization that more and more people will come voluntarily and bow the knee. And that's Act 3, and the curtain comes down. Poof. Act 4, the curtain rises. King David comes out. The psalmist comes out, and he is going to... Uh, he's going to speak a, warm, a warning throughout history. Let's see what it, how it goes. Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12. Now therefore, this is King David, now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun. Some translations, kiss the sun. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the Lord is awesome and splendor. He's terrifying in his greatness. When we just get a glimpse of his eternal majesty and splendor, what do we do? We just we, we tremble. It doesn't stop there. We also rejoice before him. 
because of all the benefits of our inheritance. We rejoice, we tremble, we rejoice. But then he says, is there another dimension? We kiss the son, pay homage to the son. So this is the idea of this affection. You know, people are just filled with affection and passion for Jesus. So trembling, rejoicing, kissing. And, I, and perhaps you, you, you've not known this dimension of intimacy and affection with Jesus. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you to think about kissing Christ. But he's, he's speaking here symbolic of just of, of being caught up in our affection and our devotion, you know, and adoration for Christ. So King David issues a warning. He says, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish and defy God. Don't resist him. He warns the time is running out, the clock is ticking. And this warning, of course, goes to all Israelis, all Jewish people. This warning goes to all Palestinians. This warning goes to the whole Middle East. This warning goes to all Russians, to all Chinese, all Indians, all Africans, all Asians, all Europeans. It goes to the whole world. And there's a time coming when it'll be too late to freely bow the knee to Christ. So there's a time coming when it's going to be too late to give your devotion to Jesus. It's too late, and his wrath is kindled. So David's saying, don't wait too long. So in summary, behind all the chaos and upheaval that's going on, we watch the news, there is a satanic agenda at work. When you see the kind of hatred, even in our country with the protesting, you see that we need to understand there is, there is a satanic, satanic power behind all this. Satan's trying to get the leaders of every segment of our society to throw off God's commandments, but he doesn't want to stop there. He ultimately wants to get people to adamantly resist Jesus Christ's right to rule. But remember, God's sitting on the throne, and God isn't the least bit nervous. He scoffs. He laughs. Because he knows his agenda will, will prevail, that nothing can stop it. It's been determined. He will set up his son to rule the whole world. Every knee will bow to him. So as you, as you do more and more watch things that are unsettling, because <clears throat> I was telling Tracy a couple days ago, I was just like, I'm surprised that Turkey hasn't jumped into this yet. And then yesterday, Erdogan talks about how they may send Turkish troops into Gaza. All this is prophesied. If you want to just, of, of the kind of, the nations are actually told us what nations are going to come against Israel. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39 in your spare time today about where things are headed. But also understand what the Lord's doing in us right now. He, is, he wants to make us a passionate people for Jesus so he can present his son, a bride that is madly in love with him. So we're, gonna be, we're getting caught up in this. We're also being caught up in this worldwide mission effort because his inheritance will include people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And finally, the psalm ends with this sober reminder how important it is that people make a decision about Jesus before it's too late. So I just want to close. I want to ask the worship team to come back up for a closing song. I want to close by just asking 
us the question because people are like, okay, well, what do I do right now? The number one thing we do right now is make sure we have totally given our devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ. That is number one. So my question to you and to you online is, have you done that? Does he have your total devotion? Does he have your allegiance, your affection? Have you already bowed the knee to Christ? If not, what are you waiting for? Even, even those of you online, some of you in your bedroom, your living room, what are you waiting for? Now is the time. Now, some of you in this room, perhaps you've never bowed the knee to Christ. You never have. Today, I urge you, what are you waiting for? Bow the knee. Some of you, you know, bow the knee, maybe when you're 12, 19, 26, but you're like, you're not really living for him. You're not really surrendered to him. But today is the day I urge you, surrender to him. These are days, right now the days, to be make sure you're right with Christ. He will come and rule. He's going to rule it all. So now, give him your allegiance now. And some of you think, well, you know, I, 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 I really think I'm devoted to Christ, but I am not living for him at all. Today's the day. Say, I'm going to bow my knee to Christ. I'm going to live for him. So let's all stand for a moment. We're going to sing this closing song. The name of the song is, we've sung it before, is I Surrender. And I just urge you, if you've never done that, or you, know, you need to refresh that today for any reason, just during the song, come up and just bow the knee. Just bow the knee to Christ. Father, you know where everyone is in this room, Spirit. So I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, that nobody can leave this campus, Lord, without their heart being fully yours. So, Lord, I pray for the power of your Spirit right now to move in all of our hearts. Lord, that we'd all be fully surrendered to you, Christ, in these days. That we wouldn't walk in fear, but we'd walk, Lord, in great confidence of all that's coming. And that we're positioned, Lord, to be yours, to be used in any way that you please in these days to come. In Jesus' name. So as we sing this, just come as you need to to surrender to the Lord.
Lord Jesus, we gladly, we gladly surrender. We gladly bow before you, declaring you to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we long for you to take your place and rightfully rule and get the honor and glory you deserve. Father, we ask that you speed up things on the earth to bring about the fulfillment of all your promises, all your promises to your son, all your promises to the church, all your promises to Israel, to the world. Lord, speed up the day where you'll fulfill all those promises. And Lord, we do pray, Lord, and during these times that you would speak to our hearts. By the power of your spirit, show us, Lord, our role in the days to come and, and, and strategically how to use us, Lord, and where we live and where we work, where we go to school. Use us for your glory in these days. And we pray for the speeding up of fulfillment of the Great Commission in our lifetime. We ask you to do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.